Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. So um, a dear, uh, very dear close friend of mine tends to make a habit of reminding anyone and everyone that uh, we're not in charge, that we're not in charge. And I'm sure you've heard that saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Well, I don't know if you remember or not, but let me just throw you back a little bit. Um, January 1st of this year was a Sunday. It was a Sunday morning um, that we celebrated way back 12 uh, months ago this morning. Well, in my ministry in the diocese, since coming back to Texas, um, I have been traveling around is sort of what I do. I've gone from place to place. And so um, I don't preach every Sunday. I don't celebrate every Sunday. um, And I'm not often in the same church um, two Sundays in a row um, because I'll be around and about. So footnote or parentheses, I love being here. But so I go around, I do all that sort of stuff, but it happens um, that on that Sunday, I did preach on Sunday morning. So I kind of getting to bookend the year in a strange sort of way um, this morning. But I'm here to tell you that I had no earthly idea that A, I would be preaching the last Sunday of this year as well as that first Sunday. And I even had less of a clue that I'd be here. That doesn't mean, however, there wasn't a plan. And importantly, that we play a part in the unfolding of that plan in each of our lives. There is a plan. We just can't forget God's in charge of the plan. And as we come to the end of the year, it's uh, very common to consider new changes in our lives, right? New diet, gym membership, a whole host of other resolutions. And though I'm fully aware uh, that a large percentage of these New Year's resolutions are broken in a very short time, I still encourage you to take an honest self-evaluation, to look at your life, the things that prompt those kinds of resolutions. What, what are those? They're bubbling up from somewhere within. Recognizing something needs an altar, a, a fine-tuning in your life, especially if you have a spiritual desire for that, is a good thing. It's a great thing. Today's a great opportunity to think about that. But now, just to be clear, <clears throat> I'm not saying that you need to start to do these things to earn God's favor in 2024, or more than that, to you know, renew your get-out-of-hell card. That's not, that's not what, that's not what we're, we're talking about. That's not what I'm saying. Quite the contrary, actually. We're gathered together this morning in church to worship where we can bring those things. We can bring our lives, those things that need changes. We can bring them here to God and pray for His grace to amend our lives, to change them. So we're, again, we're not a self-help seminar this morning. And no, we're not launching out today on our own. Go out there and and really make 2024 your year. You can do it. No, because surely we'll fail. But we come together on our knees 
We come humbly asking for the Lord's help and for his guidance. So I'm thrilled you're here this morning. I'm very thrilled that you're here. And there's something special about starting, for me anyway, and ending the year on Sunday mornings. I've really been reflecting on that reality for me. Uh, it's true for you, too. I hope you were there Sunday morning and, and you're here this morning as well. Because, see, the marking of time is a helpful reminder for us on many levels. Seeing where we are, seeing where we've been, how God has led us in the past, and knowing that he's leading us into a potentially uncertain future into 2024. More of an unknown for us. We don't really know what the future holds, right? We may have plans, we may think about it, but we don't really know. And though some may view the start of another year as a part of a never-ending sort of process, as Christians, we believe that from the very beginning there's been a plan, an unfolding of that plan, and there will be an end. And there's a purpose and a direction for our lives. Time itself will come to an end. The one who created the heavens and the earth will come to judge the earth, and life as we know it will end. So this morning, on a day when we take particular notice of passing of time from one year to the next, it's a great time to stop and consider where you are and where you're headed. Throughout the coming year, you'll most likely be doing many of the same things you did last year. You'll think some of the same thoughts. However, by God's grace, there'll be a newness to this upcoming year. There will be change and times when God particularly enters your life in powerful ways to impact you. Because you see, that's what Christmas really declares, right? God, who was before time, who was above time, chose to enter time and to come among us, to dwell among us, to become one of us. And as we look towards a new year, he makes that time for us in our days as he unfolds them for us. Now, it's another familiar and probably well-worn phrase as well this morning. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. So I don't know what awaits any one of us this coming year. I don't know what path the Lord will lead you on, what doors will be opened, what doors will be closed. But I know that he's come, and we celebrate that this Christmas, to enter into your life and invite you to put your trust in him for that unknown future and to commit your life to him. And isn't it awesome? And I think that is my choice of words. I think it's awesome that our gospel this morning so powerfully reminds us of this truth. And I find myself, even as I heard it again this morning, thinking that there's something about John's gospel and about this morning that, that we so culturally can find ourselves thinking we've gone past Christmas, right? That we, we, we move past. Ryan has to remind us, no, no, we're still in Christmas. We're still celebrating Christmas. We're still recognizing what God has given to us. And so I hope those familiar words, I hope they're familiar, um, for John's gospel, string a chord, uh, hit a chord with you. They hear, you hear something, and you think, well, that, I've heard that before, right? Because how does John open? He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, I hope when you heard that read, and he said it again, you thought, wait, that, that sounds familiar. Does it sound familiar? Let's have a little interaction this morning. Does that sound familiar? Okay, we'll even do a test. Where else have you heard that before? <laughs> Where, why is it familiar? Oh, who said that? Some, Genesis. In the beginning. It's an obvious allusion to Genesis 1, when God created the world. 
I don't want to get way off in the weeds this morning, but since I've been thinking so much about the passage of time and the marking of time, I couldn't help but think of the rhythm, the familiar rhythm of the story of creation. Each day begins with God said, his spoken powerful word, and each day concludes with, and there was evening and there was morning on that day. So from the beginning, God has spoken his word and he's marked it. And the very first day is what we see here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I'm so tempted to make this more interactive, but I'm just going to pretend that we're being interactive this morning. So hold off back there. Don't put anything up yet. But I want you just to think about what's happening on that first day of creation. I want you to visualize what it is that God has created, right? And before we show you, what does John say in his gospel this morning? What's John say? Well, let's look and see. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. First thing of creation, light. John tells us what that light is. John illuminates for us what we've known in Genesis 1. He is the light. Now, I'll never forget the year when I was growing up as a kid when my family went to a Feast of Lights service, a bit like what we did on on Christmas Eve, um, where we have that tradition. Um, And the church uh, would would be completely dark, except for the Christ candle. Even the Advent candles wouldn't be lit. Just the Christ candle in the center of the Advent wreath. And I am always amazed um, how in the total darkness, one candle can create so much light. Now granted, more lights as you light them up, it fills the room even more and more. But but you can go from total darkness to light with just one candle. One Christ candle makes that kind of a difference. And now I'll probably give away my age and my parents' uh, parenting style, gracious as it was, but I thought it might be fun to tell this story with you because the rector... In that service <clears throat> taught that we take that light, right? We take the Christ candle, we all have our candles, right? And we all take it back out into the world, and we take it back home, and to, to our home to take it out in our community, right? Okay, so my parents allowed me to take a lit candle and get back in the car <laughs> and drive home and walk into our house with a lit candle. Like I said, my parents' gracious parenting style. The light shining in the darkness, and that darkness doesn't overcome it. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about this time of year, and she says the following. She says, during Advent, the days grow shorter as we approach the birth of Christ. There may be no other season that sets Christians so far apart from the culture in which they live. On the whole, the world deals with increasing darkness by plunging in more, by plugging in more artificial light. The world deals with it by plugging in more artificial light. 
This morning, we hear John's witness. He testifies to the true light, the light which enlightens everyone which has come into the world. And here in the church, we lit those Advent candles one by one by one, testifying our willingness to wait in the dark, to wait for the coming of the light. It's a puzzling witness to a culture that supplies its own light, isn't it? We make a big statement against it. And John the Baptist came to bear witness to that light, is what John tells us in that first chapter, beginning at verse 6. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone. It was coming into the world. But this is so hard for us as we believe it is through our own ingenuity and technology that we have overcome the darkness. But John's telling us something totally different. One author kind of sadly writes the following. He says, we've come to terms with our darkened world. We've even more prospered from it. Light is terrifying to those who have learned to love darkness. He says, we don't want to see any, everything, and we surely don't want everything about us to be seen. Now, there's an aspect of light to think about this morning, don't you think? Still, it's to us in our darkened world that John declares the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. It's a little later in our gospel reading, John 14, John 1.14, where he writes, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is every first Sunday after Christmas that this gospel reading is assigned to the church. John's um, prologue, as it's known, it's, it's his magnus to begin with. It's a, it's a deep and theologically rich text. But you noticed this morning, there was no manger. There was no Mary and Joseph. There were no shepherds in the fields. No, John, John gives us a radically different picture to describe what happened that Christmas Eve, that time that God came to dwell among us. Honestly, so much of our celebration of Christmas has been heavily influenced by the culture the, the reading of John's gospel feels a little off. We're, we, we want the baby. We want, we want all that stuff that we're familiar with. See, because Christmas keeps becoming more and more about what we want, right? Our decorations, our parties, our food, our presents, our baby Jesus in the manger, born in Bethlehem. That's, that's what We want to just leave Jesus right there and leave Christmas right there. John won't let us do that. John says it's impacting our lives and the culture. John speaks right to where we are in the darkness that we all find ourselves surrounded by and sometimes enveloping us. He speaks of the darkness being overcome by the light. Because he says, for the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God has come to dwell among us. You know, scholars say that the more literal translation is that he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent. And that gives us a window, I think, and a clue into where John is going with this. Because you see, John now is drawing on the stories from the book of Exodus. He's saying that Jesus is God's tabernacle in our midst. It's a reference to that tent of meeting, right? 
the Lord had said to Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And it'll be later in Exodus chapter 40 where Moses sets up the tabernacle and, and listen to his description in Exodus 40, 34, and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What John is referencing in this one little line that he has is that God manifested his presence to the people in the tabernacle from which he guided and directed them. He says, in all their travels, the Israelites were guided by his presence amongst them because it was there that his glory dwelt. And you may recall when Moses encounters with the presence of the Lord, his face shone, his face shone. The light of his presence was so strong Moses' face began to shine. And now John tells us, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. This glorious divine presence that hovered over the ark became human, came as a person to dwell amongst us, to guide and direct us. Especially now that we've moved back to Texas, and I'm beginning to help, <clears throat> help our bishop, I love telling the story of how he and I sort of got together. We, we lived together in El Paso before he went to seminary. He moved out, and I say I got an upgrade because I married Nancy and she moved in. <laughs> <clears throat> but I'd lived in the house for quite a while. It, it, it had been a house that I'd bought, and so I owned this house. And so um, after our honeymoon, when we came home, I began to walk around the house. And, and as I walked around and looked around, I began to notice that some things were not the same. Some of what I refer to as my priceless heirlooms and <laughs> valuable furniture, read junk and tacky stuff, were mysteriously missing, <laughs> never to be seen again. Now, I share all of this after having uh, spent 41 years of marriage to this awesome woman but if you think that I've not been changed by dwelling with her, you're sorely mistaken. And I only share it to highlight the fact that the impact a spouse can make in our lives when we dwell together, how much more the Lord will impact our lives when he dwells in our presence with us. The impact they have on our lives, on our relationships, on our marriages, on our parenting, and on and on and on. God takes on our humanity and he shines his light into our lives, into our darkened world, into the darkened places of our hearts, into the broken places of our lives and our relationships, and he shines his light upon them and we're changed forever. So we've come to the end of a year, a year that might not have turned out how we planned, right? And we look forward to a new year, all the while knowing that from creation, the Lord's plan was to fill our lives with his light and to be and dwell amongst us. I pray that in this upcoming year, our lives will be transformed by that indwelling of him in our presence, in our own lives, in our families, and right here in our worship on Sunday mornings and as we live our lives together as the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do 
give you great thanks for the gift of your son Jesus and his coming to dwell amongst us and to bring the light of life into our souls. And I pray that that light would shine brightly into each one of our hearts this Christmas, this New Year's Eve. And as we move into a new year, that it would shine brightly throughout the entire year. We give you thanks for that this day and always. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.